Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we'll jump right into it, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time of Sabbath rest to come together to worship you, uh, to dig into your word and to learn more about you and the message that you have for your people. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding today as we look at the book of Amos and consider what uh, the message that you have for your people uh, has to say to us even today. And so we, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would bless us this time. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. I was actually looking forward to uh, going through this study. I enjoy going through all the studies, but... Uh, Looking at the book of Amos, I had an opportunity to, to preach a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. I'm not really good with time, but uh, I believe it was in April. And we uh, preached on the, on the topic uh, of Amos, talking about the, the message that he had for his people about justice rolling down and, and righteousness uh, coming down and, and what God's standard is for the people. And it's for all people. It's about... The, the sovereignty of God and, and the dual themes running through Scripture of, of judgment and salvation. So as we're getting into, you know, we're, we're continuing our survey through the Old Testament. Lawrence went for quite a long time bringing us through the division of the kingdoms. Uh, he had talked about Solomon and then Solomon's failure and the kingdom being taken away from his son. So you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam and then you have uh, the, the lineage of kings following that. So just recently, last week, Anthony finished going through Jonah. And Jonah had a message that was for the people of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. Uh, but he also had a, a, a prophecy for the people of Israel. In fact, when he speaks to Jeroboam, he actually has a very good prophecy for him he wasn't reluctant at all to share that prophecy he told him that he was going to expand his borders so if you look here this is in second kings 14 talking about the the reign of jeroboam jeroboam the second obviously not the same jeroboam <laughs> from the split this is about 150 years later he restored the border of israel from uh Lebohamath as far as the sea of the arabah according to the word of the lord the god of israel which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. For the Lord, saw, the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had said that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. So this was the prophet, uh, the prophecy by Jonah, 
and that um, Anthony mentioned when he was going through his survey of Jonah. And now we come to Amos, who follows after Jonah, and his message is for primarily the people of Israel, but also he's going to speak to Judah. He, he has a, a message for Judah, and he has a message for the surrounding nations. So, I don't know how well you can see this map, but this is uh, Israel and Judah in the days of Jeroboam II and uh, King Uzziah, who's the king of Judah at the time. So, the purple here is the kingdom of Judah, the green is Israel, and the, what color is that? Yellow? <laughs> uh, the, the yellowish color there is part of the restored border um, that was reclaimed by Jeroboam. So they have a pretty good spread. At this time here in history, both kingdoms are actually doing very well in one sense. In one sense, that's key. Okay, they are, they're prospering. They're, uh, militarily, they're very strong. Uh, Judah has subdued their enemies. Uh, Israel has subdued their enemies. They're both prospering. They're both doing well economically. Unfortunately, that's about where it ends in terms of how well they are doing. They are not obedient to God. They are not uh, following after God with a true heart. So we'll come back to that in a minute. We'll come back to who his uh, prophecies are against. But this is the first verse. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Huzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. One verse, a lot of information. Uh, not all the prophets that we'll have, uh, especially the minor prophets, give us this much historical background as to where they are located in the timeline. Um, I was looking for a timeline to try to find the best way to, because we're, we're, we're going through a survey, so we, we want context. We want to see what's going on um, in the world, in, in Israel and, and Judah. And so if you look at the, I don't know how far you can see back here. I can see it great right up here. But <laughs> So if anyone wants to crowd around, that's fine. No, but you see the red lines on the top. The red line is the kings of Assyria. The second red line are the kings of Damascus. Uh, and that's Syria. Don't get Syria and Assyria confused. And you have from the moment of the split here, the divided kingdom, you have Solomon. And then the yellow line is the kings of Israel. And the green line is the kings of Judah. And they have the prophets in between. Some of these prophets here with the, the white stripe in between the blue, those are prophets that are, are spoken about in the books like in Kings and Chronicles, but they don't have their own book. And then over here in red, the, that's nations around Israel. So Jonah went to Nineveh. The yellow stripe is for the prophets who were speaking to the, prof, uh, the, king, uh, the kingdom of Israel. And the, the prophets that have the, the blue line, I'm sorry, the green line, are the prophets who are speaking to the kingdom of Judah. All that to say, here we are with Amos. Jonah has preached to Nineveh. They have repented. And right now, Assyria is not a threat to um, Israel or Judah. They're kind of on a pause right now, but they are growing in power. Amos is coming during the time of Jeroboam and Uzziah. 
Hosea is a, a contemporary prophet who uh, someone else will talk about later on. But where these guys are here, if you notice, spoiler alert, <laughs> they're about 40 years out from going into captivity. Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be decimated. But we'll, we'll get to that as we talk about as we talk about um, Amos. That historical information that we have there, and sorry, I have to keep going back to here to, to show. He's telling us when he's ministering and who he's ministering to. And the thing that we want to uh, mention, another thing that might be, he is from Tekoa. And Tekoa is right here. It's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. So he's coming from Judah to Israel with a message for the people concerning Israel. And he's not a prophet. You hear uh, throughout the Old Testament about the school of the prophets, right? He's not a professional prophet. He's not someone who this is his, his full-time job, full-time ministry. He's a shepherd. And, and later on in uh, chapter 7, he's also a, a, a dresser of sycamore figs. So this is a man uh, you know, out there in the rural, uh, the rural parts of Judah. And he is... He's working. He's, he's got a vocation. And yet God has called him with a ministry to go to Israel. So he's not a professional prophet nor the son of one. He's a shepherd, a dresser of sycamore figs. He's from Judah and he's going to Israel. We have the uh, further historical evidence about two years before the earthquake. And they're not fully sure when the earthquake was but it was a serious enough earthquake that it was mentioned in Zechariah 14.5. And uh, there, I'm not going to, I have a thing, but it says, You shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So even in the time of Zechariah, they're pointing back to this earthquake as this was a major thing. So, we have historical grounding. We know when Isaiah was. We know when uh, Jeroboam was. We're not 100% on when that earthquake was, but we have a good idea of when his ministry is taking place. And as I said, during the reign of these two kings, the nations are prosperous. They have subdued their enemies, um, restoring the original borders. They're experiencing a time of economic prosperity as well. And yet, despite the indications of things looking up, there is rampant idolatry and there's rampant corruption in the land. And so that brings Amos onto the scene. And this book of Amos, and obviously, you know, we're going to be going through this over the next several weeks. I don't know how many yet. I'll let you know as we get there. Uh, but I would encourage you to go back and to read it. Read it a couple times. It's only nine chapters. Um, he's a minor prophet, not because it's not a, an important message, but because it's a a shorter message, right? He, it's not a very long book. But the book is a collection of his sermons and his prophecies over the course of his ministry. He addresses the surrounding nations and his homeland of Judah, but his main focus, because God's main focus here, is concerning Israel. Israel, as we all know, are the people of God. Israel are the one, is, the, is the nation that he revealed himself to. He claimed, he called out for himself. He called them out of Egypt. He set them, established them in this good land, promised the land to them, promised prosperity to them. 
and gave them his law, his standard, told them how they ought to live. And it wasn't just, all right, well, make sure you bring these sacrifices. He told them not only to love God, but to love neighbor. And that, that idea, that concept, you cannot separate. And too many of us try to separate that today, uh, maybe not here, <laughs> but in the church. We, ha- we have this idea of, well, we have our responsibilities before God. And yet the Bible tells us time and time again that we have responsibilities to our fellow man. And nations are judged according to God's standard. Here we're going to find when we get into the first couple of chapters that his message is for the surrounding nations first. He has something to say to all of Israel's neighbors. Um, And he's judging them. Not according to their standard. He doesn't get out their constitution. Did I mention this is my first time at PowerPoint? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whew. Okay. This is not... Um, he's pulling out the constitutions of, of Syria and Ammon and Moab and Edom and, and the, um, the Philistines and Tyre and saying, look, you're violating your laws. No, he's saying you're going against his standard. And that's something that we should... Always remember, Jesus Christ is King of Kings. Well, God is God of all the world, right? He is sovereign over everything, and it's by His standard that He judges. When He brought the Israelites into the land, and He's telling them about the people that they are, that He's going to drive out before them, and He's giving them His law, He says, All these nations did these things. And so don't learn their ways, don't be like them, or the land will spew you out as well. So, Israel has a long history of, you know, having God's revelation given to them. You know, they, they've been led by prophets um, from the time of, of Moses and giving them the law and, and establishing them in the land. They've had constant reminders to look back to the law that they're supposed to be abiding by a standard. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about what they were doing and how they were violating it. Something else I want to mention, I was talking about fatherhood uh, a few weeks ago. And I was saying how when we look at fatherhood, we look at you know, the responsibilities of, of men and their families as husbands, as fathers. And how do we know what God's standard is for that? And I said, you know, when we look at the New Testament, we have a couple of things, but it's not very detailed. And my point was, when you go back to Genesis... When you go back to other parts of the Old Testament, God gives plenty of revelation about what he expects as a standard of righteousness for an individual, for institutions like the family, like the people of God, like nations. And so it's not a mystery. It's not something that no one has a clue about. There are people who are living according to that standard way back in Genesis before, you know, the Ten Commandments were were etched in stone. So... One thing I'd like us to remember is that God is constantly referring back. He's constantly expecting us to have a certain amount of knowledge about himself. I mean, we see in Romans, right, uh, that people are suppressing the truth of God. No one has an excuse. Everyone recognizes that, that there is a God and that there is a specific God. You know, his power, his his attributes, they are made evident through the creation and so 
whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're without excuse. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that the Old Testament, Old Testament was the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible. We have Genesis and the story of creation. We have the story um, of the, the people of Israel being called out, you know, starting with their father Abraham and going on. And we have the law given and the expectations given for this people as a nation, as a people of God, you know, all in that first five books. And so when the prophets are coming to the people, it's not like an entirely new revelation. Well, God is speaking and he's got something specific to say right now to them um, in terms of application. But it's not like, oh, you never mentioned any of this before. You didn't tell us we had to abide by this standard. You didn't tell us what was going to happen. Uh, parents, you ever punish your kids? <laughs> and uh, no one? Anyone? <laughs> no one's punished their kids? All right, let's start all over. Uh, go back to the fatherhood one. Have you ever punished your kids with, with, a, with a punishment? Like, you didn't tell us that was going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, if, if, if they're not doing something they're supposed to, like, oh, right, well, you know what? No, well, now we're not going to do this. You didn't say that. that we, I didn't know that was a conditional thing. Like, if I, if I didn't clean my room, we weren't going to go to the movie later on. That's not fair. Anyone ever do anything like that? Lay down a punishment that they didn't see coming and they think this is a great injustice, right? God doesn't do that. God told them what the judgment would be on them for violating his law. When it came to how they were supposed to worship, when it came to how they were supposed to treat one another, when it came to all the requirements that God had, he also told them what was going to happen if they didn't obey. It's, it's not... It wasn't a secret. It wasn't a surprise. They had the revelation and they didn't pay attention to it. So here, now we have the, the, the kingdom of Israel grows, right? We know about the sin cycle in Judges. Uh, we know how in Samuel, the people ask for a king and he gives them Saul and Saul's a mess and he gives them David. And, and the, the kingdom is, is coming into glory, right? The King David is a man after God's own heart and he's ensuring that there is with some notable failures on David's part, but there, there's justice and righteousness in the land that the people are following after God's ways. And then he leaves the kingdom to Solomon and, and it comes, you know, Solomon in his early beginnings uh, is wise enough to realize he's not wise enough. <laughs> and he asks for wisdom and God gives him not only wisdom, but he gives him all sorts of glory. And, and Israel sorts of, sort of re- reaches its zenith, right? Uh, you know, people are coming from all over the, the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon given to him by God. Uh, they're coming and they're seeing and, and God is getting glory through this. But unfortunately, we know that Solomon starts to stray. He, he violates God's law. He, he multiplies wives and they do exactly what God said they would do and why they weren't supposed to do that. They took his heart astray and he starts setting up um, idolatrous worship to please his wives. So after that, God says... He's splitting the kingdom. He's taking it away from him. And that's what happens. And over the next course of 150 years, uh, Judah and Israel are split. And they're both, they're not, they're not rising to glory anymore. They're, they're descending, you know. Uh, Judah has some notable kings that sort of try to turn things around or keep things going. Israel is just running headlong into corruption. Because when they split, the first Jeroboam sets up 
idolatrous worship centers in Bethel and Dan. And he's saying we're worshiping the Lord our God, but you don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem, even though God said, this is where I'm going to put my name. This is where you're going to come and worship. This is where you're going to come and sacrifice. Constantly you hear the refrain throughout kings and they didn't remove the high places. God is not pleased with the high places, you know, um, and here they're going and they have golden calves again. And if you go back and listen to Lawrence's uh, survey through Kings, you're seeing that just the, they're constantly getting involved with not only false worship, but idolatry. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And God is sending his prophets to warn them and sending his prophets to tell them, you need to turn back. And when we get to Amos, Israel is running out of time. God has set his date and he's saying enough's enough. You're going to be destroyed. So the first verse of, well, the second verse, I should say, the first verse is telling us who Amos is and what he is doing. The first verse after that, verse 2, and he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. From the valleys to the mountains, everyone hears. Everyone's affected. Everyone should be afraid. The Lord roars from Zion. That timeline I showed you before had Joel like way later on. Um, but most commentators believe that he was actually earlier than that. And Amos is quoting him in uh, Joel 3.16. Uh, before I get to that, there's a couple different ways of looking at the outline of the book of Amos. And, and one that I found interesting, uh, you know, uh, it's sort of, uh, they have these bookends and it's got a chiastic structure. And uh, so in, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, we have the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice. And then in Amos 3, 8, we sort of have the other side of that bookend. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So in between the lion, well, the Lord roaring, and now here the lion roaring, all in between is the judgment you know, that's being proclaimed on the surrounding nations, on Judah, and most of all on Israel. So there's a bookend there, and they say, you know, this was being quoted from Joel 3.16. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. The idea is, when God is roaring, that's something to be afraid of. When the God of the heavens and the earth roars, the heavens and the earth quake, right? I wonder if some people would think about that and say, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. That's true. Of course, Hosea was a contemporary of um, this thing. Hosea was a contemporary of Amos, as I said. And you want to be careful about presuming on who you are in relation to God at times. Um, this is not to say you can lose your salvation. Don't get me wrong. The Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Okay? So he's a stronghold to his people. I say, we are the people of God. He says, not so fast. All right? 
Hosea is another scary, <laughs> scary book. Amos is a frightening book, and it should be frightening to all of us, to both Jew and Gentile, for people who claim to be covenant people and people who don't acknowledge uh, God and, and his covenant relationships with people because everyone's in a covenant relationship with God. You're either in that broken covenant with Adam or you're in the new covenant with Christ. But he's disowning his people. And he's going to say at the end of the book that all the sinners of his people shall die. So there's, there's something here, you know, we talk about the old covenant and you were in the old covenant by virtue of your birth. New covenant is different, right, Reformed Baptists? <laughs> new covenant is different. Those who are in Christ are in the new covenant. Um, but we have to be careful, as any of you who are on social media recently, people who say that they are part of God's people, um, they aren't always, are they? Sometimes they apostatize, even celebrity pastors. So we need to be aware of this warning, thinking that, you know, who we are, but the people of Amos said, we're his people. And, um, but Hosea comes along and, and he is speaking mostly to Judah, but also to Israel. Actually, no, I'm sorry. No, Hosea is speaking to Israel. Uh, Judah gets mentioned as well, just as in Amos, but no, Hosea is speaking to Israel and he says, you are not my people. And if you know the story of Hosea, you know about his, his marital requirements and his children and stuff. That's a, it's a rough story, you know? And we complain about our situation sometimes, what God is handing us. Like, this isn't fair. Hosea's like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> but anyway, but Hosea had a biblical perspective, so Hosea did not complain anywhere near as much uh, as we do. So, excuse me, where are we on time? Oh, we're good. Okay, they have run full long into idolatry. And the Lord is roaring and he is bringing about a warning of the judgment that's to come. Any questions so far? No? How many people are familiar with the story of Amos, the book of Amos, prior to this? That's one. <laughs> Two. All right. So. All right. It, it's... What I appreciate about this uh, survey, again, is, is looking at these things in context. Because I remember as a kid and reading through, and if you're just reading through the Old Testament, even if you're like reading through the Bible, it's like, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of places. And they don't line them up chronologically. <laughs> it's just like the major prophets, the minor prophets. Who's he talking to? What's going on? Um, so to go through this survey, to understand the historical context, understand who he's talking about, to look at something like a timeline and understand these people and places, what's going on. It's very uh, helpful for us to understand. So hopefully you'll, uh, you'll benefit from that as, you, as we look at the big picture. And if there's things you're not clear on, you can always go back and listen to it on the, uh, on the website there. So... I will do my best to aim us in the right direction. That's Jerry, everyone, for the, <laughs> for the tape. Um, okay, so we're talking about God's sovereignty. We're talking about God's standard. And, and what is God's standard, right? What are the two greatest commandments that Jesus tells us about? I already said it. This is an easy one. It's a softball. Right. These two, on these two, 
hang all the law and the prophets. They summarize everything. It is love, but love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is an action. Love is uh, obeying God and showing our love for Him. So, where do we want to start? This might just help for when we get into it. Uh, this is the divided kingdom. These are some of the main uh, cities. You have Tyre up there, Aram. We'll get into it as we uh, as we start. But I, the, the the one the one thing I want to drive home over and over is the fact that I mean we talk about the idolatry, and that's true. God is not okay with idolatry. He's also not okay with uh, false worship in the sense of we're naming the name of God, but we're worshiping him in his, I'm sorry, in our way rather than his way. He laid out what his expectations were for worship. And again, we see back in Genesis, right? Abel and Cain, they come to worship God. They come to sacrifice to God. But who is pleasing to God and who's not? Who's being obedient in the worship that they bring and who's not? These are not new themes they they start from genesis and they go throughout the course of scriptures um you have god's people and you have those who are the enemies of god you have uh judgment coming on those who continue to rebel and you have salvation for those who god is merciful uh, merciful to and who draws them to salvation who they they turn and they obey we're getting to the point in Israel, they've, they've lost it. And yet God is going to call them to repentance several times throughout this book, telling them what they need to do. And isn't it interesting, too, there's going to be the contrast of the, the surrounding nations and how they look upon Israel. You think about Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked city, right? They were doing all sorts of evil things. And around the time Jonah comes to uh, prophesy to them they're uh, based on what I can see on the history they're, they're in the middle of a famine there was a solar eclipse a couple of years prior and these things are scary <laughs> to these people I mean they're watching the, the, the stars in the sky and, and wondering what, what sort of signs there are especially for people who don't have special revelation from God and they're trying to get all their information but in their sinful minds they interpret things a certain way but here they are in a famine, and a famine is another way that God judges people. And so they're, they're recognizing that things aren't going their way. And here comes Jonah, and he prophesies against them. Your time's up. You're going to be overthrown. And what do they do? They repent. The people of Israel who have had God's warning, who have had his standard, who have had his warnings about what happens if they fail to obey, prophet after prophet comes, and they won't listen. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a sad contrast between the people who are supposed to be of God and yet the, those wicked Gentiles listen better when a prophet comes with the message from the word, uh, from the Lord. So one of the things I wanted to, the reason why I felt like this particular, uh, this particular message was for today is if we look at our society today 
I see a lot of similarities. I don't know about you. I see a people who are called by God, who have been uh, given special revelation, been given grace, been given everything that they need for life and godliness, just like the people of Israel, right? Here he had planted them in a good land. He had given them his word. He had uh, started off giving them a godly king. And yet their heart is always running from God. And we see uh, in, in a political context the things that we look to as blessings, you know, um, a strong military, a good economy, the Tao is up, <laughs> right? Um, we're looking at that as the standard of, oh, we're being blessed. And we're not looking at it with the eyes that God has. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Israel has gained, in the, in the physical sense, the world, right? We all want victory over our enemies. We don't want any nation being a threat to us and having us live in fear. And we want a strong economy. We want that retirement fund growing, right? We, we want to be able to get the, the nicer house and the nice vacation. We, we want those things. And they had that. And they also thought that they had the Lord. And yet they were ignoring the prophets who came from God to tell them they're not doing the right thing. My concern looking at the world today um, when I think about him expanding the borders I can almost imagine people going around with new hats imagine what those hats might have said (laughs) there's one twisted imagination with me make Israel great again hmm I'm not partisan. I don't like either side. (laughs) Um, I have my concerns with the policies on both sides because I think both don't have God in mind as a priority. Some use his name more than others, but we don't think like God thinks because there are policies on one side that are closer to the truth and shock above all shocks. There's policies on the other side that are closer to the truth. Um, And yet both of them are missing the mark because both of them are not using God's standard. Both of them are not going to God's word and saying, this is right and this is wrong. When God is going to talk to the people of Israel, he's going to talk to the entire nation, but you're going to hear a lot about the leading men and the leading women and those who are well-to-do and those who are wealthy. Why? Why? Why would he speak to them? He's speaking to everyone, but why is he naming them? They're the ones who have power. What comes with power? They have influence. With great power comes great responsibility, Right? They do have influence. They do have the ability to do things. Boaz is named in Scripture not because he just happened to meet a a Moabite chick. (laughs) Right? He was named because here he was a godly man who had wealth. He had land. he He had business. 
He had people working for him. And yet he did what God called all people like him to do. If there are poor in your land, if there is uh, sojourners in your land, if there are people who don't have their own land, they're in debt, they're in all sorts of, they're in poverty, and they're just trying to scrape together enough to make a living. God says, don't, don't beat out your fields to the very end. Leave something for people to glean. Recognize, first of all, you know, they, they do it in terms of, well, this is my, my field, this is my crop. This is my source of wealth, right? This is their money. It says, don't take every dollar for yourself. <laughs> Leave some for those who are less fortunate that they can make a living, that they can go and, and try to get something to eat, and, and that God, through you, will bless those who are less fortunate. Boaz was doing that. Boaz made his place safe for people to come and to glean. And he gave special instructions to watch out for someone who would normally be victimized or oppressed. And not only is she uh, uh, you know, a poor woman, she's a foreigner. And yet he, he recognized her righteousness in, in caring for her mother-in-law, and he gives special protection to her. That's why Boaz is in the lineage of Christ, because he's being obedient to God's word. You're going to find out that people who have power and people who have wealth, people who have influence and the ability to do things are thinking nothing of those who are less fortunate. They are oppressing people. They are um, selling people into slavery. Uh, So when we think about Israel in the time of Amos, when we go through and we're listening to the railing accusations that God has against, first, the Gentile nations, those who have no covenant relationship with God, and here how God judges them and by what standard he judges them. Be thinking about that because we should be thinking that God, Christ specifically as King of Kings, he has all authority. And so God has something to say to everyone, to every nation, about how they conduct themselves. We should be thinking that way. Most people... I don't know what the numbers are. So I'll just say a lot of people don't think we have anything to say about how the world conducts itself in that realm. No, we're only concerned about us and and the church. And we've got nothing to say to those outside. God does not share your point of view. (laughs) God believes he has something to say to every nation. And Christ, who is king of kings and has all authority, has sent us to disciple the nations So, our Messiah says, no, we have something to say to every nation. You're to teach them all that I have commanded. So, listen to what God has to say um, next week as we uh, talk about the, the, the Gentile nations. But then listen how he talks to Israel. Look at what he holds them responsible for. Um, how we worship God is important. We can't just, I mean, we <laughs> look in America today. You know, our biggest export <laughs> to other nations, the prosperity gospel. They're naming the name of Jesus. They might even be using an ESV. Probably NIV, but that's not the NIV's fault, right? But they're, they're sending that out, but with an entirely different gospel. Okay, So God cares about how we 
worship him, how we represent him, how we live according to his word. But it's not just about how we conduct ourselves on church on, at church on Sunday. It's not just about how we fellowship with uh, fellow believers. What about the people around us? What about the communities around us? What about our sphere of influence out there? Because the people, the rulers, are being spoken to, and the people who have wealth and power being spoken to. What about the poor people? Are they not going to be judged? Anyone? Are the poor people going to be judged? Yes. yes. Are they going to deserve it? <laughs> it's God. <laughs> Are the poor people going to deserve it? <laughs> yes, everyone deserves judgment. All right? That, that wasn't a trick question. I was like, oh, God, he's going to judge them, but they don't deserve it? No, everyone deserves judgment. In fact, there's actually, um, in another book, where he talks about judging the fatherless and the widow. Because all have turned aside. All are, are following after their own ways. But when he's saying that, you know, these people have a responsibility because they can actually do something about it, but everyone's going to be affected because they're not following after God, we have to remember, as believers, that we, we should be using our influence to help. Because we say, well, see... Their kings are responsible, right? Their rulers are responsible. Not the common man. That's what they say today, right? In America, you know, we talk about the Congress should fix this. Those bums, the Supreme Court and their bad decisions. We need to get the right people on there. Exactly. Who's Congress elected by? These aren't trick questions, guys. <laughs> They're elected by the people, Right? What, our government is, is what? What does it say? In our founding documents. Right. We're the government. <laughs> We're the people responsible. It says, uh, when, a, when a land is wicked, they have many rulers. <laughs> how many people? How many people rule over us today? First you go to the village. Then you go to the town. Then you go to the county. Then you go to the state. Then you go to federal. And there's like a thousand bureaucracies in between, right? It's amazing. Are there more people in charge of government than, than that are being governed? We have a responsibility. And most people say, it just seems overwhelming. It, it just seems too hard. How can we have influence? How can we change the course? Well, I have news for you. If you don't change the course... What happens? Does God say, oh, poor you. You're so powerless to do anything. When he looks at a nation that has run from him and has rebelled against him and has violated every standard he has, judgment comes. So if we want things to change, if we want America, bring it home, right? If we want America to be spared, if we want to see us not fall, uh, we need to do what we can to change the course. We have a responsibility. And that does seem overwhelming. But it might have seemed overwhelming to 12 guys or so <laughs> saying, all right, go take the world. <laughs> I'm going back to heaven. <laughs> right? But of course, he didn't leave them alone. They're not alone. They have the Holy Spirit. God is working, but he's working through the church. So we have to realize that we have a responsibility to have an impact on the world around us. So as we look at the situation in Israel, as we look at what God says to them, 
I don't want us to think, whew, glad I'm not those guys. <laughs> Man, I'm glad I'm not in, in their boat. Because in one sense, we're not. You know, the, the, there is hope at the end of this book, right? And when you get to chapter 9 and God talks about what he's going to do, how he's going to restore the, the booth of David. And that's quoted in Acts. God does restore. God sets up a kingdom, right? And for those of us who are in Christ, we don't have to fear condemnation. We don't, you know, our eternity is set. We're in right relationship with God. If we are truly in right relationship with God, right? Remember Hosea, you're not my people. Remember what Jesus says. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. We don't want to be in that boat. In another sense, though, we are in a nation. This part's not controversial. We're under, we're in a nation that's under judgment. Would we all agree on that? We are in, under judgment. And it doesn't look like it's moving in the right direction. Despite who we might have in the White House and what we might think he's capable of, despite the justices that might be getting appointed to the Supreme Court, if the land is wicked, all we're going to see is more wickedness. You know, um, Because the president doesn't have the same power as a king anyway. And the king was limited power. I mean, you hear about some of the good kings and they, 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 they had reforms, but every now and then you hear but the high places remained. <laughs> the people always had their out. They're always still got their foot in the idolatry of, you know, the other nations. So I'm concerned for our, our nation. I'm concerned for our future uh, in, in that sense. You know, in the, in the same sense, we're, we're, we're grateful that God is sovereign and we know that he does all things well. And so if judgment comes, it's because judgment is deserved and judgment is necessary and we know that the church, um, judgment begins in the household of God, right? I mean, and we see a lot of, we see a lot of judgment that needs to come upon the household of God, people who claim the name of Christ and yet twist everything he says to mean something opposite. And so in one sense, that might be necessary. I'd much rather go the repentance and revival route than <laughs> destruction and persecution and, and, um, trying by fire. But, that remains in God's hands. We're called to be faithful and God will handle the results. So I'm going to close here. Uh, I'm going to close here. We'll talk next time about... We'll get into the, the actual <laughs> prophecies. Uh, next time we'll start off in the first couple chapters and, and see what he says and how he says it. Uh, but any questions this far? This was an introduction. Does it make sense? Right. that was helpful. I hope that was uh, an introduction to, uh, to pique your interest. Um, 
guys will have to come back again next week. <laughs> just keep coming. We we're only going to visit one week, and then we just keep on back. Um, but yeah, I, I hope you will uh, you will find this study beneficial. I I, I find it to be very uh, very timely, and it has a lot to say. But it's not all doom and gloom, especially for us. There's hope. There's hope given to the people, and there's hope given for us. So uh, next week we will dive into it. We will start talking about what he has to say to the surrounding nations of Israel and, and get into that. But in the meantime, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, preserving it, that we might uh, be able to hold on to it, to look to consider what you have done in the past and to realize that, Lord, um, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, when we see how you speak to your people and how you speak to your enemies, Lord, there is that the truth remains and the message remains for us to be aware of, of what side of the, of the dividing line we are standing on, Lord. And we pray... Lord, that you would preserve us and help us to be faithful, Lord, and to help us to be uh, diligent to advance your kingdom, to spread the message of salvation through Christ, to avoid the judgment to come, and to give glory and honor to Christ because he is worthy. So, Lord, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for the time that we're about to spend in worship. We pray that, Lord, you would just bless Pastor, help him, Uh, to fully articulate the message you have for your people and that we would come undistracted by the cares of the world but ready to worship you in spirit and truth and that you would be pleased with the worship that we bring. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant? Or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.